<laughs> Welcome to Seattle on Tap. I'm Courtney Jacobson. And I am Ashley Toten. It's been a while. Not that people will notice because we had many episodes in the bank, but we haven't yeah. done a Zoom or recorded in three weeks. It's kind of crazy. Nope. Yeah, it's kind of good. I mean, we were getting some feedback from folks that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because we were so far ahead, they were having trouble, you know, keeping up with keeping us because they're like, when did this happen? Wait, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So we took the opportunity with summer break and, you Can't know, foreign life to be able to just hide out for a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we took two camping trips, my family and I did. Um, one of them up to Mount Rainier, we lucked out, crazy lucked out and actually got, um, one of the campsites inside Mount Rainier National Park. So, and that, I mean, they're incredibly reduced right now. So that was really awesome. And we had so much fun that we ended up staying an extra day. <laughs> awesome. And I had text you we, <laughs> when it was funny too, because when we were up there, um, we're like, well, I mean, we don't have anything going on the next few days. We could stay one more day. And uh, I was like, well, okay, if we do stay another day, we have to go down the mountain a little bit and contact a few people so they know we didn't die on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that also. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you were one of the people I was like, okay, I'm not dead. <laughs> Just not coming home for another day. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, you read and are interested in hear about what have you true crime a lot when those are the things you think about. People might think I'm dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you I uh, yeah. just kind of stayed home, read a couple books. Nice. Uh, I'm back on full time at work, so I spent some time working a lot. Uh -huh. um, yeah, that's about it. It's mostly been reading and working and dealing with injured puppies. Yeah, poor guy. I mean, nobody likes teeth issues, especially when you can't have a conversation with that animal and explain why their teeth are being ripped out of their face. Poor guy. Yeah. Bad for him. <laughs> Doing pretty good though right now. So it it's helps good. to be high. <laughs> it really does. He thinks he can play, missing almost all his teeth now. Like, Jesus, dude. <sighs> man um what are you drinking today uh oh yeah i quit drinking <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> nobody believes that <laughs> be like a minor miracle um <laughs> why are we doing this <laughs> oh yeah this is now a sober show guys <laughs> we're very serious <laughs> Um, so I am drinking a beer uh, from Bosque Brewing here in Washington. Um, 
they put out a for reals pink boots beer for reals this time yeah <laughs> not a oops it <laughs> seems like maybe <laughs> for realsies it even says on here so oh good um, but the beer is called A Woman's Place is in the Brewery, and it is yeah. a style lager. <laughs> um, oh, it's did you say it's double dry hopped? It's just dry hopped. Oh, just dry hopped. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it has a Munich malt base, hmm. and then they use um, Mandalinian and Caramel 40 malts. Um, so it's a really, like, got that really like caramel yet bready kind of uh -huh. thing going. Mm -hmm. Really light, really crisp. Uh, it's under 5%, uh, mm. 4.9, 4.2. Oh, really low. You could drink that in Utah. You could just drink it all day. Put in your water bottle and... <laughs> um, so the... Malts and things marry with the 2020 version of the pink um, pink boots mix that they send out. Mm -hmm. Here um, had some Azaka. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the things now. Azaka, Eldorado, Idaho Gem, and Laurel hops. Mm. Uh, all of those are usually really tropical, and they are like you can yeah. taste just the tiniest bit of like fruit, but it's not. Um, not overwhelming. It's really well balanced. I would even say, considering the hop varieties, that still tastes pretty true to the style. Nice. Oh, it's real good. I'm already halfway through it. Don't you? <laughs> good thing it's low in alcohol. You can have as many as you want. <laughs> I don't know about that. My waistline disagrees, but. <laughs> 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 um well as we were kind of discussing before recording um since we've taken a three-week break we're out of sync and we did not pick beers that are similar this time which is kind of crazy um <laughs> mine is kind of lighter though but um i'm drinking weird and gilly by Single Cup Beersmiths in Astoria, New York. It is a double dry hopped IPA, um, New England style, of course, because I love that. Uh, <laughs> it's 6.6%. Um, they're calling it, well, okay. So they named it Weird and Gilly because it is, um, it's part of a song, a David Bowie song. It's like a lyric in one of his songs. And so it's kind of an ode to like Ziggy Stardust jamming out with the spiders from Mars, but you can still follow the beer light to guide us is what they say. Um, because it's kind of a light beer and here I'll show you. Um, it's like the best of a beer I've ever heard. I know. It's <laughs> super, um, it's not kind of, it's not really coming through, but I guess over here, yeah, there we go. It's very oh, light. It's like it's really lemonade. Yeah, yeah, it's a light, bright yellow. So, and then the flavor is really light. Um, 
and definitely very tropical. I'm getting like pineapple and apricot and really citrusy kind of notes in it. Um, and then it says papaya and that's kind of a, you have to really think about it and be like, do I taste papaya? Maybe. <laughs> Am I just deciding it's papaya? <laughs> I almost just tastes like it feels in your mouth. You know what I mean? Like I almost yeah. I don't feel like it even really has that much of a flavor that I would recognize. I love papaya. Yeah. It tastes good, but I, part of me is like, does it taste good because it's how it feels in your mouth or? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so... I'm, I'm liking this. And I, the moment I tasted it, I was like, wait, how many of these did I buy? Cause I, this is one of the orders from Tavor that I did. Mm -hmm. And thankfully I bought more than one of these. So I'll yes. get to have another. <laughs> you don't have to savor this moment too much. Yeah. I get <laughs> have it one more time. I might even be nice and share it with Gordon. Ooh. We'll see. <laughs> lucky man <laughs> um let's see how are things going otherwise are we just ready to dive in and talk about some some stories you know it's been pretty uh pretty good uh, one of the books that i had the pleasure of reading um which is partially what my story is based on today Mm -hmm. uh, was by a West Seattle author. And cool. So cool to like read her book and like I for a few years in the coffee world served coffee to her in the morning and never knew who the hell she was. Oh, cool. And, and have since like found out like she's been a badass reporter and writer for a long time. Oh and my she's god! Right here the whole time. <laughs> oh my gosh! I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> Cool. I the book is really good. I'll explain more at the end of my yeah. story. But. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I go first today, so we're gonna have to wait a little bit. But brothers, <laughs> I, uh, I was telling you, I felt really bad um, listening to our episode a few episodes ago um, when I did Ezra Meeker. Mm -hmm. And as I was recording, I, or sorry, as I was editing, I was realizing that I took up two thirds of our episode and made it so freaking long. So I made a point to find something that uh, was a little not so in depth that I could <laughs> do somewhat of a shorter story. I didn't mind how we ranked at all. Like we talked about this and we're like, I felt so bad. I know. <laughs> I didn't mind at all because I feel like all the information was super relevant. And in fact, we had somebody contact us saying, oh, I wish you said this too. And, and then at that point it, we were like, but it could have been like a three hour episode if you leave Right. It. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how some people do it that, you know, they talk about these really big, there are some of the really big like serial killers that I've wanted to kind of talk about, but I'm like, Oh my God, I'd have to do a three part kind of. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'll have to figure it out. 
Um, but today I am going to talk about a very weird occurrence. Um, and part of it we get to put on our tinfoil hats for. So it'll just be fun. <laughs> Hold my beer. I gotta go get my hat. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the gelatinous rainfall in Oakville, Washington. I have heard the story and I don't know the details. This is the weirdest fucking story. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I discovered this, um, just kind of going down one of my little rabbit holes on Reddit one day. And I looked it up and sure enough, it's a legit story. And I <laughs> was like, I have got to talk about this sometime. So here we go. <laughs> um, so I'll set the scene for you, um, especially for those that may never have heard of Oakville, Washington. Um, so Oakville, Washington, it's a tiny, tiny town in Washington called, well, Oakville. Um, and we're talking so small, population like 700, give or take a few, probably less than 700. Um, you drive into town, and if you're actually paying attention, you know you're in Oakville and watching because it's so small. Um, you drive into town and you pass a sign that says, Welcome to Oakville, Timbertown, USA, established 1905. Um, so that right there just kind of speaks to small town. They're like, we're famous for wood. <laughs> Um, it's located about two hours drive south of Seattle on I-5, um, a little over 88 miles from here, and 40-ish miles inland from the ocean, but that's like as the crow flies. Um, it rains there a lot, but kind of that's an obvious statement because it is Washington. Um, they are in Gray's... Grays Harbor County, though, and that's one of those areas that tends to rain a lot more in this state, so majority of the year it's raining, um, which means nobody really thought it odd when um, it was raining one night um, until they realized that it was not rain, so Ugh. yeah, so now that we know where we are, uh, let's get to the weird part. Um, <laughs> so it's August 6th, 1994, and police officer David Lacey is out on patrol that night. Um, and he has a civilian friend with him just riding along, because you can do that. Um, and I wrote that he's riding shotgun, but that spurred a question for me, and that became my shower thought. So I'll, we'll just put like a little pin in that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so at about 3 a.m. that evening, now August 7th, because that's how days work, um, <laughs> it starts raining like crazy. Again, nobody thinks anything of it. 
So um, Officer Lacey says, um, we turned our windshield wipers on and it just, it just started smearing to the point where we could almost not see. And we both looked at each other and we said, geez, this isn't right. <laughs> I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Where did this even come from? <laughs> so he pulls into a gas station to clean it off the windshield. And as a police officer, he's naturally a little skeptical of whatever this is. So he pulls on some latex gloves before he touches anything. Um, starts kind of touching the windshield to like see what the hell's going on. And he notices, he says that it's, it's a gooey rain, like almost jello and you could squish it between your fingers. I'm just imagining like a big snot stream. Ugh. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but less runny because Ugh. it was more like jello, just like, um, yeah, anyway. Um, so he figures it out. He cleans it off, moves on, finishes his shift. Uh, later that afternoon, Officer Lacey suddenly felt sick. Uh, he says, I was to the point where I could hardly breathe. I started to put it together that possibly whatever the substance was, it made me violently sick, like I never had been before, to the point where it just totally shut me down. Yeah. So, what the fuck? <laughs> So to further prove this theory that maybe this stuff made him sick, um, another resident across this town uh, actually was starting to get sick also. And so Dottie Hearn, who um, had woken up that morning and noticed rice-sized gel raindrops. And so she had like a wood box. We had a she had a big box on her porch, like just set off of her porch where she kept her um, firewood in. And on top of that box was all these, I mean, kind of everywhere, but she walked up to this box and she's like, what the heck? And she touches it and she notices, you know, that it's this gel stuff. Um, and she thinks it's weird, moves, you know, tells her daughter, blah, 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 moves on with her day. And then that afternoon, she started feeling nauseous and dizzy. And so badly that later her daughter and son, who are older, um, they come by to check on her. And she was so sick that they found her drenched in sweat on the floor of her bathroom after having thrown up repeatedly so, and she's weak, she's complaining that she can't even, she's just so dizzy, she can't even stand up. Um, they rush her to the hospital, al along with getting, making sure to get a sample of this weird goo, rain, oh. and taking it with them to the hospital. Smart. Yeah, her daughter's smart. <laughs> um, do, do, do. So, Dottie ended up spending three full days at the hospital to be treated for, at first, the doctor said that it was an inner ear infection, 
but a bunch of her symptoms didn't really go along with that. Like the fact that she was, you know, perspiring a bunch from being sick and nauseated too. Um, and he, so he's, once she was um, discharged from the hospital, the daughter said, so what did she, what ended up being the, you know, what was it that she actually had? And he just shrugged his shoulders and went, I don't know, some viral infection. <laughs> that's, the, that's the professional opinion from the doctor. <laughs> yeah. The last time I was like really sick and out for a week. All you tell me was I had a viral infection of some kind. So crazy. Uh, yeah. I have no idea what it was. That's so weird. Uh, okay. So the sample was tested at the hospital and found to contain human white blood cells. Oh. <laughs> you guys, this really happened. This is not some made up alien shell. This is weird as shit. <laughs> okay. Um, Naturally, the lab could not determine exactly what the gel-like substance was or where it could have come from. Um, so the sample was then sent to the lab at the Washington State Health Department to be analyzed by epidemiologist Mike McDonald. And just in case people out there don't know what an epidemiologist is, that is a public health professional professional that investigates patterns and causes of disease and injury in humans. So basically they're a biologist, works for the state essentially, that basically they're the people that say, oh, there's botulism in the lettuce and it's coming from this place and it's making, it, that's why people are getting sick. That, that's what they do. Um, okay. So back to the lab. Um, so this is where it gets, again, even weirder. Um, so Mike McDonald tests the gel rain sample and he discovers that it is teeming with two different species of bacteria. So, so far we have human white blood cells and two types of bacteria that both can make you very sick one of which can be found in the human digestive tract. Giant from Jack and the Beanstalk is like up above the clouds, just throwing up. And that's what the problem is. <laughs> throwing up clear goo. <laughs> that's the only thing. It was crystal clear. No Ooh. color. So gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this, of course, is where the rumor mill really started going um, as to the origin of this gel rain. Um, some people started saying um, that it had been human waste dropped from an airliner flying overhead. So they contacted the FA FAA, and of course, that was quickly ruled out because they stated regulations mandate that human waste be dyed blue. And it's something they check to make sure every flight goes off that they have the blue dye in the toilets, basically. Um, so, and then, like I said, the gelatinous rain was crystal clear. No blue. 
<laughs> um, so here's another weird one. The gel rain actually continued to fall uh, five more times over a, it was a three week period that it rained this weird gel goo stuff six full times. Yeah. Ooh. Over Oakville. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it still has no official explanation. I'm doing quotes here. Um, one of the kind of more popular theories is that the military was doing bomb tests over the ocean. Um, and <laughs> I love this and managed to hit a school of jellyfish, which <laughs> yes, that could definitely happen because if, if you've ever swam in the Puget Sound or out in the ocean in this region, August is a time when you're going to see a lot of jellyfish. It's when they start like making babies and they're up towards the surface trying to get food and, and warmth. I don't know. But we have friends out on the sound kayaking have been seeing schools of jellyfish. Yeah, now is the time. And yeah, this happened August 7th through whatever, three more weeks through the end of August. Taking a drink. <laughs> All right, so back to the theory. Um, they potentially hit a school of jellyfish, thus launching them into the air, because it was a bomb, um, <laughs> and somehow depositing pieces of the jellyfish into a cloud that then rained over Oakville 50-ish miles away because where they were they actually were doing test bombing but where they were doing it was 50 miles away and and over three week period of time and it only rained it over oakville because of the bomb and it was jellyfish i'm just saying there's a lot of holes in this theory <laughs> there are. but that's one of the more popular ones <laughs> um and then this theory actually came after Dottie Hearn sent a sample that she had actually saved on her own in her freezer. Um, and it was about a year after she had gotten sick, she sent it off to an independent research lab called AmTest Laboratories. A microbiologist there named Tim Davis found the gel rain to have eukaryotic cells, um, which means it has a nucleus and organelles with a cell membrane. And these are the types of cells that majority of life, living things are made of. Plants, us, animals, we all have eukaryotic cells. So that's where they were like, it was jellyfish. Um, another theory also having to do with the military. And this one is my very favorite because this is the very most tinfoil hat one. And it just makes me smile slash whoa. Um, <laughs> um, so going back to the Washington Department of Health, our, our, 
our lab guy, Mike McDonald, he saved that sample that he had first received and actually continued to do tests on it. Because sometimes you do a test and through time you will learn more because more things will develop. And, um, or you just, whatever. Um, as, so as he did more tests, he discovered that the gel itself was actually man-made to carry the bacteria. So like a matrix to, in order to, it's just like a benign gel that you can then insert whatever bacteria or sickness or biological weapon <laughs> into. And then, and we all actually do know that the government and scientists, what have you, do know how to make clouds rain. It's been done multiple times just to save crops and things like that. So people think that um, this, oh, sorry. So anyway, getting back to, so he finds out that it's a man-made gel. Um, so he figures this out and then naturally because of he has a job to do. He reports it to his supervisor. And strangely enough, the very next day, he goes into his sample locker or whatever, and uh, it's missing. That one is gone. And all records, all records of him testing in the system are gone. So he goes up to his supervisor, and he's like, I'm really kind of freaked out because you know, there's this stuff clearly has the bacteria could make people sick. I don't know if someone grabbed it and they don't know what it is or what's going on, you know, and his supervisor says, um, forget about it. Just don't ask any more questions. Just literally forget. Now go, go do the rest of your work. Go test yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, this is where <laughs> the real tinfoil hatty stuff. Um, people in Oakville actually also reported seeing black military hop, well, they assumed were military, but black helicopters in the area, over the area around that time that the gel rains happened. So within that three weeks, they had seen multiple black helicopters overhead. Um, so people are assuming that the military was actually testing with a minor bacteria and knowing that it, it could make people sick, but it would not kill them. Mm -hmm. Essentially to see what would happen um, to the public and our infrastructure should we get attacked by biological warfare. So that's why it's my favorite one, because I'm like, well, if they did the test, they didn't do a great job because <laughs> and we didn't get attacked, but we are, you know, dealing with a pandemic and they didn't fix anything. <laughs> that was in 1994. Yeah, they've done that several times that they've mm -hmm. admitted to. Yeah. Releasing things on the general public to just see how it goes. Yeah. 
So the last thing, and this one's just with, well, it's just kind of, I don't believe in it. So um, there's a thing called star jelly and dating back to like, I don't know, even before the 1300s, um, people reference this stuff called star jelly that they used to believe if there was an, like an asteroid shower or something like that, um, that remnants of this star jelly would be found on the ground. But the thing is, um, it was only like a little bit here or there, just like one little clump of this goo. And people also later, like scientists later, said that, oh, that's mostly like, there's these certain type species of frogs that when they're mating and laying their eggs and things like that, that's, you know, what carries the eggs around. And so it's just, it's part of nature and not because of, there was a meteor shower and some, but some astral goo came down and deposited onto the planet. Astral goo band name. Astral goo. <laughs> There's also it's also called moon poo. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, so that was my fun um tinfoil hat story for the day. Weirdest fucking story. <laughs> it's so great. Oh my god. And so gross. Yeah, I'm just imagining it raining boogers. Like, so mm-hmm. gross. Ugh. Yeah, I'm like, I'm imagining, like, the stuff that's inside a diaper oh, that soaks up the pee, moisture. And, like, if someone had just, like, sprinkled tons of it over this entire town the other thing is so this area is like 20 miles wide so it's not like it was just I mean it's all rural it's definitely not bustling by any means but you know it it was a large area that it rained down some gel (laughs) rice sized droplets in in torrents. <laughs> I'm on pass. That sounds so gross. I don't even know how I'd react if I walked outside and was like, ugh. I'd be like, going, going back to bed. bed. Yep. Calling in sick. Hey, I'm not living. <laughs> Just gonna sleep <laughs> through this one. <laughs> the other weird thing is, um, I kept trying to figure out, so how did they clean it up? What did they do? It just melts. Ugh, gross. Yeah. Ugh, weird. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, I'm going to drink a little bit of my beer. Maybe we could take get a, another one. Okay. Well, we'll take a little mini beer break and, uh, I mean, beer is what keeps this podcast a pumping, you know? Yeah. Flowing through our veins. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm back. Woo! Party. 
Oh man. Uh, have you seen the movie um, Peanut Butter Falcon? No. It's really, really good. Um, I want to say it's on HBO Max or one of those things. Anyway, we watched it not too long ago, and there's a part where the guy's like, okay, rule number one is I'm the boss. Rule number two is you carry your own weight, blah, 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 blah. He lists off these, like, rule num- you know, rules, and then he goes, okay, what's rule number one? And the guy goes, party. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> so now, I know. So now I'm like, okay, honey. <laughs> I look over to Gordon. I'm like, okay, that's that's a thing from now on. I'm just gonna randomly be like, what's rule number one? And he, <laughs> so I did it the other day. And of course, you know, Layla didn't watch the movie with us. She was in bed, and so we're eating dinner. I was like, hey, honey, what's rule number one? And he, he's like, party. <laughs> Layla just looks at us. What? <laughs> I can totally see the face she would make too. Like, what? <laughs> Just kind of half smiling, like I kind of want to be in on this. What What are we doing? <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right. It's so weird. It's nice to be able to chat with you again. I know. I I was so excited for our recording session. <laughs> well, that's when you were like, "Do you want to push it back?" I was like, "No." <laughs> I know. No. I didn't want to, but I. <laughs> Like, I don't know what all the stuff you guys have to do for him. <laughs> I didn't even know either, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. What's your story? Oh, I didn't do one. I quit drinking and I didn't write a story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sounds good. Goodbye. Bye. End the show. Um, today I did my story on the Poughkeepsie killer, Kendall Francois, who was a serial killer in the nineties. Also what the book was about, uh, that I was mentioning, which I'll talk more about the book towards the end. Okay. Uh, so Kendall Francois was born on July 26, 1971 to Paulette and McKinley Francois in Poughkeepsie, New York. Poughkeepsie is seated in the western edge of Dutchess County, about 88, 80, I'm making up words. 88, <laughs> <laughs> uh, about 88 miles north of New York City, close to like a two-hour drive. According to the 2019 census, the estimated population was about 30, just over 30,000. So it was like 30,515 specifically. Uh, Kendall, that was 2019, so this happened in the late yeah. 90s. You can imagine that was a really fucking small area. Yeah. You know, I actually had a boyfriend that grew up there, and his dad was a state cop, which is funny. Weird. <laughs> Kendall's family was one of the only black families in the area, making his childhood one of real extreme alienation. Uh, he was one of three children to his parents. He had two siblings, a brother named Aubrey, who I believe during the time the story took place was away at college. Um, and then also had a younger sister named Kirsten who was living in the area. Uh, his mom, Paulette, worked as a nurse in a psychiatric ward in upstate New York. 
Um, and she knows that knew the family. They seemed pretty normal, a pretty happy, healthy family unit. Um, they, they mentioned a lot in the reports I saw that his mom was super active and like the kids, like she kind of made a point to make the kids go to mostly white schools. So they were extremely alienated, but she was really, um, like she went to every parent teacher thing, like all those things and was really active. So they're like, no, his mom seemed great. You know? Um, it noted that Kendall had some difficulties when it came to his academics though, and his social life as a young man. Um, aside from the fact that his parents refused to ever let anybody come to the house, they refused to ever let any kids come over or anybody else for that matter. Um, he was a bit of a loner. Um, even in high school, when Kendall ended up on the football team, he primarily was asked to play due to his size. Um, he was not a very popular member of the team, nor was he very skilled. As an adult, Kendall would be six foot four and weigh around 400 pounds. Oh. Uh, he was a big guy. If you Google pictures of him, he's like gigantic. You're just like, holy shitballs. <laughs> it's crazy how big he was. Um, based upon the testimony of folks that knew him, even in high school, he was a really, really large, but friendly person. Mm. A lot yeah. of the folks uh, find themselves alienated in school um, or unpopular. And this has some social and psychological effects on them as they become adults. Mm-hmm. Um, he's super honest, being a teenager just fucking sucks in general. Um, but Kendall seemed to come out of his childhood with confused feelings about women either longing for relationships with them or hating them. Huh. He had very weird lady issues. Um, so... A lot of the folks looking back on them also described him as like, the word that kept being used was meek. And actually his father was just that way too, like really soft-spoken and meek for a person that was so huge. Um, Apparently his dad was also a real big guy. Um, But overall, everybody thought he was the coolest. So like the nicest anyway, not the coolest, but the nicest. then, October 1996, 30-year-old Wendy Myers, a local sex worker, goes missing. Mm-hmm. Likely due to the history of crimes towards sex workers being mostly ignored, it didn't raise too many flags when a local sex worker went missing. And then shortly after Wendy's disappearance, both in the month of November, two more women, Gina Baroni, I'm also hoping I'm saying some of these last names right, Gina Baroni, and Catherine Marsh would go missing. Hmm. Though Gina wasn't reported missing until December of 1996. She was reported missing by her mother who described her daughter as not being very stable and then she had initially not realized she was missing because of this. Catherine Marsh wouldn't be reported until March of 1997. They both went missing in November. Wow. So it was the previous year. So that's a long time being missing. Um, now fearing that the women's disappearances might be related, connected based upon their location, the occupation of the women and their physical appearances, all of whom were petite Caucasian brunettes with lighter eyes. Hmm. Um, local authorities started to keep their eyes out specifically on the Johns that the local sex workers would hop in and out of the cars of. Nothing other than illegal prostitution itself seemed out to stick out to them. 
falling somewhere during this timeline, Kendall would be arrested and serve very, very short amount of time for, and then would be released for the assault of a couple local sex workers. Like he was basically hiring them and hiring them to perform really rough sex and then beating the shit of them. Oh. And a couple reported them, which is good. Um, yeah. So not long after Gina was reported missing, Kathleen Hurley would be reported missing in January of 1997. Kathleen was, a 40, was 47 years old at the time and was last seen walking in downtown Poughkeepsie near Main Street. Now growing suspicious of Kendall Francois after some of the levels of, the, of assault that were described by sex workers in his short-lived jail time, they started to, I, when I say do surveillance on the house, they weren't like, following him around everywhere he went because they didn't have enough evidence based on the previous assaults to be like, that's the guy, you know, because they also at this point didn't know a whole lot. They just knew people kept going missing. So they're like occasionally driving by the house. Yeah. And just kind of, oh, what's he up to? Oh, looks yeah. normal. He's on by, you know. Yeah. Um, also, to be crystal clear on the living arrangement of Kendall Francois, this wasn't just Kendall's house. This was his family home where his mom, dad, and little sister all lived. And they had lived there for years. Um, and at the time, so the timeline's a few years long, but when he was arrested, he was about 27 years old. Oh. So he's a young man, you know, living yeah. at home. Um, by 1997, local police decided to contact the FBI for assistance in profiling a suspect. And this proved to be an extremely difficult case. Thing to do because they didn't have anything except several missing sex workers, no idea where they went, no remains, no connection other than their occupation and appearance. They know it's probably by one person, but that's all they know. So trying yeah. to profile a suspect for what you don't know what they're doing with those people is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And then in November of 1997, the police themselves initiated a missing persons report for Mary Healy Giacconi, question mark? I don't I'm hoping I said her name right. Sorry if I didn't. Um, her father was actually a New York State uh, corrections officer, and he reached out to the police because Mary's mom had passed away about mm -hmm. a month before, and they were trying to have a service, but they, but he knew his daughter had been a sex worker and it had been kind of doing her thing. Yeah. But he had not been able to find her and wanted help to find her to let them, you know, her know that her mom died. And yeah. When pursuing that, they found out that none of her known acquaintances had seen her since February of that year. So she'd been missing for almost a year. Like, that's a long time. So during this time, the same time, you know, around that same time, a young lady named Michelle Eason was, went missing, who was a 27-year-old Black woman who was also fit the profile of being a sex worker mm -hmm. at but otherwise but um, and she got reported missing on September uh in September rather of 1997 um I'm throwing her in there and we'll get to that again later um but I she's important nonetheless but she should be in that timeline okay uh, so on June 1998 Sandra Jean French a 51 year old mother of three disappeared and her daughters called the police, but the parent, like, they were like, oh, you know, she probably went to visit a friend or she probably, blah, blah, blah. and they were like, her, our mom wouldn't just not come home. Like, what the yeah. hell are you talking about? And in the book, um, I was able to get a little more detail 
about her that apparently she was basically lying to her family and saying that she had a job elsewhere, but then was driving into Poughkeepsie and was actually a sex worker. Oh. Yeah. So I wonder how she went missing. Oh, I'm sure it happens all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, but her kids, one of her daughters was like, fuck this, I'm going to look for my mom. Mm-hmm. And when I she actually found her mom's car three blocks from Kendall's house, but didn't know anything about Kendall. And at that point they had any connections. So now knowing that now, that's really fucking suspicious. But back then you're like, I don't know, why would her mom park there? That's weird. Yeah. But they didn't think that at the time. Mm. Currently after the disappearance of Sandra in August of 1998, uh, Audrey Puglisi, I don't know how to say her name, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try again. Puglisi, I think it's Puglisi. Uh, and Katina Newmaster were also reported missing. And during this time, police had been keeping an eye on the Francois home more, but they never saw anything. Again, didn't see anything weird. He would go into his, like pull in with the family van and park in the garage and leave again. Didn't see anything weird. Um, but I have a, th- that he may have been to avoid that surveillance that he may have been having them duck down in the van because there were like some comments that they would see him pull up but then just be home for a couple hours and leave again huh and i and that would be during the time that somebody went missing gotcha um but anyhow on september 1st 1998 kendall picked up another woman and her name was diane franco Kendall drove her back to his house where he proceeded to rape and choke her. And this was sort of his MO, like he would pick them up and then convince the sex workers to go home with him. He would rape them and then choke them or beat them up or something and then dispose of them. Um, Diane was able to All free of this herself. All living with your family, that part is crazy to me. Oh, it gets better. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> so Diane was able to free herself and unfortunately he was so fucking huge she was free but trapped in the room with him like she couldn't really get out but she wasn't underneath him getting beat up well yeah she couldn't get around him to get to the door or something yeah um finally she had after some time she started to try to persuade him to take her back to main street where he had picked her up um, she told him that she promised she would pretend like nothing ever happened and she wouldn't ever talk about it. And for some unknown fucking reason, he believed her and took her back. Oh, wow. Yep. Diane, who was obviously terrified, went into a gas station telling the clerk that she just needed cigarettes. Having clearly been beat up and was completely out of sorts and like scrambled, the attendant offered to call the police and said, you know, are you okay? Did something happen? And she was refusing to talk about it. Um, after pushing, she did say I was attacked, but then wouldn't, she was like, I just want to leave. I just want to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And another woman in the store overheard this and saw some police pulling into the, um, they were ironically passing out flyers for one of the other victims. Oh. They pulled into the parking lot, put some flyers up and this customer ran out and was like, there's a lady in there that says that she was attacked by a guy. She's a sex worker. She's walking away. Go after her. Wow. So, yeah. Um, I know. I'm like, good looking out, dude, because that lady may have never said a fucking word. Well, yeah, especially, you know, at the time, that was, you know, late 90s when 
morality. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of weird morality stuff during that time, post Monica Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky bullshit. And so most ladies would be like, mm, that's what she deserves for being a sex worker. But that's why I like the new, like, well, new-ish, like, hashtag I believe women. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Little, it's great. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to really get off subject if I don't. Yeah, no, <laughs> sorry. We both will get all heated up about that stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so once they made contact with Diane, they were able to convince her to come down to the station and make an official report. Soon after Diane's report was made, police arrived at the residence of Kendall Francois because she named him by name and said where he lived. Mm-hmm. Um, they put him under the arrest for assault of Diane Franco. So mind you, this is the third time he's been arrested for assault against a sex worker. Yikes. However, shortly after being arrested and being asked if he knew anything about the recent disappearance of Katina Newmaster, Kendall told the police he killed her. He straight up admitted it. He was like, oh yeah, I did. Kendall told the police that, um, or I'm sorry, he would later confess to them for a lot of them, but he refused to ever accept um, any role, like being accused of any role in Michelle Eason, the woman I talked about before that I said to get back to. Yeah. He said, I would never ever admit to playing a role in Michelle's disappearance because I don't want to be associated with the murder of an African-American woman. Uh and so the theory on her is she's still connected to as a possible victim of his. But just but, that he won't admit it or? Well, oh, well, I'll get back to okay. that. <laughs> I have a lot Another to say. Put a pin in it. <laughs> um, police got a search warrant after he said that because they're like, well, if he killed this woman, then we need to go see if we can find a way to find her. Yeah. They get a warrant and they go to the house at 99 Fulton Avenue in Poughkeepsie, New York, and walk into a fucking nightmare. <gasps> the house where Kendall and his family had been living for years and years was full of garbage. Their family were like crazy hoarders that had literally just food garbage and actual like paper garbage everywhere. Oh my god. <laughs> the France home was filthy. The family was living and sleeping among piles of garbage and in some areas of the house food scraps. Kendall's room mirrored that level of squalor that was found in the house, but was also littered with pornography and used condoms. Mm. Evidently, the family van was also full of used condoms. The van that he drove his little sister to school and work in, and the same van he drove his mother to work in every single day. It was noted that the house was filled with a foul stench which could have been the garbage who fucking knows yeah. and there were maggots apparently falling from the ceiling oh my god yeah so <laughs> when questioning the family about <laughs> the smell and the maggots they said like did you guys not notice that it smells fucking terrible like you didn't notice the maggots and all three of them separately not word for word but separately said Oh, well, Kendall fa- said he found a family of dead rag foods in the attic and that he was going to deal with it. They thought that's what it was from. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So within right. an hour, yeah, dude, it gets really gross. Within okay. an hour into the search, they found the first of the bodies. It took them an hour to locate a body. <laughs> such fucking mess in there. 
So then by the end of their search, they now had the, discovered the bodies of eight women total. And they found five women in the attic and three in the basement. Seven of the women that were found had been among the local women that had been missing. Um, there were eight total that reported missing. One was Michelle Eason, who I spoke uh-huh. back to. It's still a little. Um, <laughs> yeah. I ended up finding eight, but it wasn't her. They found the other body was a woman from New Rochelle who had never been reported missing. She had actually only been in the area for six months, moved there, and had been missing for about three weeks. But everybody thought, oh, maybe she went back home or, you know, mm-hmm. nobody thought of that much. Poor so this, they didn't even know she was gone which is fucking heartbreaking. Michelle's remains have never been found. And in the book, Spider and the Fly by Claudia Rowe, who's a West Seattle person, um, she said when she Kendall about Michelle, he cha- his demeanor would change. He was um, just kind of getting like depth of the book. His rea- like way he behaved around Claudia Rowe was a little bit friend flirty. Like he, she, physically looked like his victims oh she and kind of as a like true crime like obsessed reporter in the 90s and yeah. wanted to f- learn more about the killings but became fascinated with him is essentially what the book is about right and uh she ends up getting more information out of him than the police do in a lot of cases because he finds her to look like a buddy uh, <laughs> but when she would talk about michelle his demeanor would completely change. And he would be like, I want to talk about it. And he'd get super weirded out. Wild. Uh, yeah. And I think that it's possible that he could have killed her and probably buried her. Um, but it doesn't fit their, like his typical MO. So they have no right, way to actually tie it to so they, they haven't been ever, ever, ever been able to prove it, but it's very possible. Um, Kendall was indicted on eight counts of murder and pleaded guilty to all of them. Uh, Kendall did not receive the death penalty, which during a conversation with Claudia Rowe, um, he was just like, why would you confess to murder when you were only being asked about the assault of Diane? Yeah. And he said, well, I thought that I'd get the death penalty if I admitted what I'd done. Oh, like he basically, oh, I just want to die. Yeah. Nonetheless, Kendall was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences in the year of 2000 and was held at the Attica Correctional Facility. Um, And then in er like the early fall of 2014, Kendall was transferred to the Wendy Correctional Facility, which was like a medical grade prison so like oh. folks had severe health problems or severe mental health problems that required more assistance were sent there yeah uh, and it had been revealed during uh his trial in 2000 that he was hiv positive which he uh-huh. from one of his victims right um but he died on september 11th 2014 wow. uh, <laughs> listed as natural causes the specifics of that weren't revealed, um, but I could only assume that it was probably complications due to HIV. Wow. But yeah, to, the book is fucking killer, by the way. Um, if you have access- I'm currently to- adding it to my, I need to read this list. <laughs> oh, good. I 
like oh I read the book and then I needed to catch up on some of the details. I, I left, she talks about the cases, but about the individual women, because she actually went up and talked to bands and stuff during the time. Uh -huh. uh, a little more info, but again, I didn't want to have like a five hour episode of me really basically just reading Claudia's book to you. <laughs> right, yeah. But um, Cla you should check her out. She's a really good writer. And actually, um, Billy Jensen from Jensen and Holes. Uh-huh. Uh, book came out and was like this was like around the right before covid shit happened yeah yeah seattle to be at her book release oh so they're like probably know each other from investigative journalism okay yeah. that makes sense yeah she's a really good writer and a good neighborhood person so there's that <laughs> yay a strong ass <laughs> lady doing her thing yeah. oh my gosh that's amazing Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, yep, this is on my need to read it list now. Crazy. Wow, that's a crazy story. Ugh, oh, man. The raining yeah. maggots. They talked to her, well, like, I'm sorry, I don't know if I believe that his family was so unaware. And well, it really, it really seems like they didn't really know um the only person that they there was a little suspicion thrown around that might know mm -hmm. was his mom yeah and it was mostly things like when the smell got really there was a point that was described by the rest of the family when the smell got exceptionally bad mm -hmm. and um mom told him to go buy bleach and dump it on whatever was upstairs apparently she didn't say bodies she didn't say anything like that whatever you're doing yeah Clean it up. um there was also some a conversation apparently that came up in court with sister the little sister yeah the detective involved said this and i was like i'm kind of agree with you but you know what just because i would do it doesn't mean that somebody else would but apparently there was a conversation when the raccoon thing came up that the sister the sister said i want to see like out of curiosity and he said right. no you can go up there stay out of the attic blah 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 and uh -huh. she never went up and they were saying how many younger siblings do you know that if your older sibling told you to stay out of the their room or the attic right. or whatever would like my, not my little sister for sure she's like such a type a personality <laughs> she's like I mean, half the time I look up to my little sister, you know, she's such a force that like, there's no way in hell she'd be okay. She's like, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> Just because you said I can't, now I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, totally. She had to default my bedroom door when we were in high school because my sister would just steal all my shit all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. I mean, I didn't deadbolt my, but I was a part-time kid because I had the, the two households. Yeah. And um, at my dad's, which is where my little sister is, was, well, not is anymore, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> I, I had, we lived on a boat for the longest time, which means, you know, very small quarters. So I had two big drawers of, you know, we each had small areas where we could keep our, our toys, you know. I had these two big drawers where I could keep my toys and every single time I would come back from being at my mom's, I'd be like, okay, what kind of toys of mine did she acquire while I was gone because she was bored? 
There were times when if I got like a good toy for a birthday or whatever, I'd take it to my mom's just because I'd be like, I want to keep this. <laughs> Mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, siblings. <laughs> yeah, that's, there, there is a very, there's a very, very strong amount of, um, what is the word I'm trying to think of where you just pretend things aren't the case? Um, yes, there, especially with certain families. And I know a few that in particular that you and I have spoken about off recording. Um, that, yeah, that's a, that's a big, big thing. You know, it, they just are like, we love them and we, they're our family. So no matter what they do, we're going to pretend it's not happening. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, the book was really good, but some of the details about um, the family life, like they always also talk, another reason I think the mom may have known something mm -hmm. is that I guess when the dad, mom and dad were being interviewed, the dad also came off as being really meek and like wasn't really voluntarily talking about much but once they got the couple in the room together whenever he answered he looked at his wife and not at the officer like he was seeking approval to continue talking yikes yeah i've seen that happen yeah. before yeah pretty weird mm -hmm. pretty it's, weird i mean it i mean and you see it in both aspects where the wife will look to the husband or the husband, you know, will look to the way there's, it's sad when one of the two spouses is so much more overtaking. Yeah. Ugh. Is dominant, real weird. yeah. I'm all about a give and take. Like, I don't oh. want to be responsible for all the things, but I also, I mean, there's days where I'm like, I, I'm not responsible for decisions today. Sorry, honey. It's your, it's your day. <laughs> and then there's days where I look at him and I'm like, oh, he's stressed. It's all right. I got this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> How about teamwork? Yeah, man. Sad. Well, crap. I think those were two extremely different, but really interesting stories. Look at us yeah. for our comeback episode. <laughs> Getting back to our roots. Weird this, and scary. This is a good three-week <laughs> vacation. <laughs> I'm also happy Blick slept through all of this. Yeah, those drugs really kicked in. <laughs> He's just like, uh. He just needed to ruffle those covers and scream <laughs> 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 uh, uh. Oh man. Kids. Uh, shower thoughts that you were going to elaborate. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. Yes. I would have totally forgotten. Me um, more. <laughs> you know me so well. Um where let's see if I grab my notes again here. Okay. So at one point I had written that the officer 
had his civilian buddy riding shotgun with him. And I'm like, where did that even come from? Because I know that when a police officer has a rifle in their car, it's usually like there's a specific holder that, of course, they affix in, into the, the cop cars. Um, and it's, it's essentially in, right there, kind of in the space that would be where a person sits next to the driver. I'm like, did it come from that? So I look it up. Um, and of course, no. <laughs> so it comes riding shot the term riding shotgun comes from the our favorite wild west times <laughs> yeah. the fucking west <laughs> when um stagecoaches actually transported mail and like money for banks um back and forth and so they'd have the guy driving the stagecoach with the horses and the reins, but then because of I, I, I know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite. Anyway, <laughs> making all these arm movements. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they'd have a guy sitting next to him uh, with a shotgun to basically hope you know as, avoid armed robberies so that is riding shotgun the person up in front next to the driver is the person with the shotgun that makes sure you don't get robbed <laughs> mm. <laughs> i like that idea that's yeah. interesting i never really thought about it actually it totally makes sense it does it makes perfect sense yeah you also just made me think of a beer I should try to find and drink on here. Ooh, I like that. Write it down. Don't forget. Mm -hmm. You're not as forgetful as I am, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like, get up and walk into the kitchen, and I'm like, why did I just walk in here? <laughs> no. <laughs> I do that a lot. My favorite, though, is when I'm looking for a thing that I'm holding in my hand. Usually yes. my phone. Generally, when I'm talking on it, <laughs> I've only done that once, and I was getting like on the verge of crying, upset because I couldn't find it. And whoever I was talking to, I honestly, I say it was my mom. To be honest, I'm like, oh, where the fuck is it? And I'm starting to get really mad. Like, what are you looking for? And I was like, my phone. And she's like, Ashley. <laughs> and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> That's hilarious because pretty much every single time I've ever done that, I was on the phone with my mom. <laughs> and then, of course, my mom also just laughs at me and is like, um. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened with mine, too. Yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. <laughs> Well, shit, we have to wait a whole week before we... I mean... It seems so long now. After three I know. Weeks, I, know. <laughs> I mean, we could meet without recording. That's true. Well, I think, uh, I think this episode has been fulfilled. Agreed. I'm All really right, so... 
and ready to finish my beer after we end. Yeah. And <laughs> I hardly touched it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, um, until next time, I guess drink good local beer. And please tip your fucking bartender. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website, Seattle on tap.com. You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by bubble bathism courtesy of the subterranot recording collective. <laughs>